Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour's Neverland. Today is episode number 330 and another installment to a Marvel Monday. Today we're going to be sharing all of our thoughts and having a discussion around Marvel Studios' newest movie, Eternals. So we're just about 72 hours removed from it, maybe a little bit longer. I think... We both went into this thinking pretty low-level expectations, and I think going into it with that expectation, we both walked away pretty pleasantly surprised. Would you agree with that? I think that's a very fair assumption. We didn't know really anything about the Eternals walking into it other than it had a very big cast. We knew it was going to be, as far as me, I should say, I knew it was going to be more space centered rather than like a Captain America kind of movie, which those movies do always trip me up a little bit. I was kind of walking into it expecting to be a little more confused than I think I was. And then other than that, I hoped I would like it, but I didn't want to set a very high expectation because I do think if you walk into a movie like this with a very high expectation, you can be disappointed very quickly. I would agree with that. So before we get into our deep discussion, I would say deep, uh, thorough maybe is a better word to describe (laughs) it. We are going to include spoilers in this. So if you've not had a chance to see Eternals yet, bookmark this episode and come back to it after you have had a chance to see it. So I think we're just going to break down maybe some plot points that we are struggling with and we're going to do our praises, things that we think the movie did very well in, some questions that we have lingering And then we'll take a look into the future and maybe what impact this has on the MCU. So so a question I want to pose at the very beginning of this and reading reviews beforehand, critics reviews and uh, just amateurs reviews, I guess is not credentialed people. Fan reviews. Fan reviews. Going into it, I feel like a phrase that we kept hearing over and over and over again. And I even think Marvel played into this a little bit in their marketing of saying, this is so different than every other Marvel movie that you've ever seen. Oh, it's a completely different direction. It's a completely different format. And maybe, now I'm dumb, admittedly, hands up, I'm I'm not very smart. I felt like this was the exact formula that they use for like every single Marvel movie. It has story building, it has character development, and then it has a huge fight scene at the end. <laughs> and I know there was more nuance packed into the middle of it but just at a very you know from a story building standpoint they followed the exact same formula that every single other movie does i would agree with that at a high level there were a lot of similarities here the biggest thing that stood out to me if we really wanted to say how was this different would just be the number of characters If we're being honest, we had to write down a full list of characters, actors' names. um, I don't want to say fake names, but eternal names because there were so many people involved. And I don't necessarily think it's a mistake 
by any means, because if there are 10 Eternals, you need all 10 Eternals. But it was interesting to me to take all 10 of these new characters and pack them into one movie, because that's just a lot of people at once. We are, like you said, we're being introduced to all 10 of these people. We're trying to learn their backstories, kind of what makes them tick, how they interact with each other, and then also how they, I don't know, how they fight together. And it's just a lot to pack into one movie. And I think maybe this is where one of my issues comes up to it. I know we have like questions or questionable decisions that we're going to cover later on in the episode, but this is always going to be compared to the movies that come out right before it and right after it. And so right before it is Shang-Chi, which is also an origin story. It's introducing a new character. And it's hard to digest where in Shang-Chi you get three new characters that you really need to know. You, you get Shang-Chi, you get Katie, and you get his sister. Those are really the only three that you need to go know going forward. This was a lot to digest compared to that. Well, it was even when we were in the car coming home, Brendan kept throwing these people at me. Like, oh, what did you think about this person? What did you think about this person? And I just had to stop him and say, I don't know who you're talking about. Like, You're going to have to give me I don't know, outfit descriptions or something a little more surface level because it really was a lot to take in. Other than that, I do agree that I got some major Guardians of the Galaxy vibes, not from the humor or anything like that, but just because they were talking about words like celestial and, you know, these different gods and interesting beings that are otherworldly. And I think more than anything, it was just kind of building up where are we going to see these people again? So where do you think this thought came from where people kept saying this is completely different than any other MCU movie? I think it's marketing. I think they're just trying to get more people to see the movie because it doesn't have the same kind of hype that a multiverse of madness or as, you know, a Spider-Man far from home. No way home. No way home. Far from Dang home was it. the last one. I was so close, but it doesn't have the same kind of draw. I think a lot of people, we, we even said it before we went into it. We kind of thought it was going to be like a Rogue One kind of situation where it was going to be pretty action-packed and there would be a follow-up or an, an effect or an impact from it, but we didn't think these characters would carry over based on things that we had heard from interviews. Now it's looking like that's not true, they even said at the end, the Eternals will return, but we didn't think that walking into it, which I feel like is not a good thing when you're trying to hype up and market a new movie. If it's like, oh, I could skip that one. Well, and maybe they learned their lesson from Rogue One in that stance because Rogue One didn't do as well in the box office because people kind of knew it's self-contained. It's, it's filling this gap that we have in the storyline but I don't know, even Angelina Jolie said, though, this was her only movie. Now, maybe, maybe at the time, maybe that was like a sly way of. Or maybe she's saying she's only going to be in Disney Plus from now on. You know, there could be different ways that she's getting around it, or it could just be a flat out lie. We've seen them do that to us in the past. But yeah, I I don't quite get the thought process of this is so different because it it really wasn't i would agree and that's not a bad thing 
It's a formula that works. It's a formula that we have fallen in love with. You build the story, you get us to fall in love with the characters, a few sacrifice themselves, and you have a giant battle at the end. That is what works, and that's what this movie is as well. I mean, Kevin Feige, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Yeah, let's not try to make this out to be something that it's really not. Well, let's talk about the good then. You mentioned characters. We've We've mentioned characters a lot. Who were your favorites? I really liked all of the characters. I mean, I think they gave more attention to some more than others, but I think Gemma Chan as Cersei was outstanding. She, I mean, you kind of instantly fell in love with her character. You understood a lot about her just from the brief backstory of her working at the museum and teaching the children and, you know, all of that stuff going on. I really like Dane Whitman, her boyfriend, played by Kit Harrington. We'll talk about him as Black Knight at the end of the episode. In my notes, in case you're wondering, I had to put boyfriend next to Dane Whitman because I'm sorry. What a lame character name. Dane, you expect me to remember who Dane Whitman is? He's the boyfriend. Well, it's not like Steve Rogers is an exciting name either. Well, but he's an, also in a movie where he's the only one. You know what I mean? We need a little more hype here for these names. But other than that, I mean, some of my other favorite Eternals, I really liked Makari. I think she deserved a whole lot more screen time than she got. They definitely kind of tucked her away into a corner or literally a ship for the entire movie. Well, and I would argue that my two favorite between Makari and Druig both got the least amount of screen time, which... Which is sad because those would probably be my two least favorite characters just because we don't know who they are much. Who are your favorites? My favorite, I really liked, um, I'm looking at all the names right now. I did like Cersei. I did like, almost like you said, just her connection with the humans. And of course at the end, like why she was chosen to represent them because she loved them the most and she would be able to protect them and save them and kind of put herself out there. I really liked that. I loved Kingo and Sprite and kind of the, I don't know, the back and forth between the three of them. Like, I feel like there were so many different personalities. You said the three of them, Kingo, Sprite, and who's the third that you're referencing? Well, and Cersei, like Cersei and Sprite were always together. So that was interesting. And then Kingo with all of his humor, just kind of being thrown in there. I liked that. I liked Fastos. Because he, to me, had the biggest range of emotions. I would, I was going to say, I think Fastest is actually my favorite. And I really appreciated all those emotions where you could kind of see at the very beginning of the movie, he was very into his new role. Like, how am I going to help them with like the whole plow thing? Look, we can do it all in once and we can make them the best ever. And how that toned back. And then over time, obviously with the atomic bomb, how that kind of shattered him. And he was recognizing that he, too, loved the humans and the people here and just the inner turmoil that he was kind of going through. I guess he didn't love them. At that point, he hated them. But just that whole thing, I thought for the short period of screen time that he even got, we saw a lot of him. And I would say I would agree. I think that they were able to build him up really quickly and able to get us to invest in him. And then I was already invested in him 
before you showed his family. Then they show the family, and then you're like, protect this man at all costs. <laughs> and protect this man's family at all costs. Oh, my gosh. I I think he was at the bottom, so I missed it. My favorite, though, I do still agree with my Fastos character, Gilgamesh. He was the same thing for me, too, though. Just very, I felt like, pure-hearted in his attempt and his desire to protect Thena at all costs. With you know, I'll keep her safe. I'll bring her back. It's almost, oh, God, what's the comparison I'm trying to make here? Who else does the whole hand thing? Oh, it's Hulk and Black Widow. It gave me similar feelings with that, and I appreciate that. Yeah, like he's willing to take a dangerous situation and... And diffuse it and just kind of be that person, like, you know, just the rock that's holding everything together. We've talked about our favorites, and I think they all... I think have a positive impact on the movie. I think we've kind of already talked about Makari and Druig felt like they were kind of done wrong. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll get them more in the future. They're together. Now they're both on the ship going out. So we think that's going to be one storyline that we're following going forward. I think Sprite is probably a very polarizing character, you know, and I think that's probably how they, wrote the character. Do you love this character? Do you hate the character? Who knows? It was a wave of emotions because I was team Sprite at the beginning. And then when they started to become jealous and Sprite kind of turned on Cersei, like, oh no, no, no. You've been together for how many thousands of years? You cannot just turn your back on your girl over Icarus of all freaking people. That's a big no. That was a red flag. I really didn't see that coming, that Sprite was in love with Icarus. I didn't see the signs. I'd be interested in going back and watching it, because it sounds like Kingo knew the whole time, obviously, but I never picked up any of those vibes until Kingo said it out loud. And maybe they didn't show it as much. Maybe that was one of those things where they might have hinted at it a little, but maybe they were also banking on the fact that these people have been together for thousands of years and Kingo would have been able to pick over it, pick up on it over that long period of time. Whereas maybe it was a little more subtle for the rest of us. But as soon as he said it, it's kind of like that light bulb moment where you could see it. But still to betray your friend like that, I feel like it's very uncool. Yeah. So we're still talking about the good. And the next thing that I wrote down was the Icarus twist. I think from the very beginning of the movie, you could tell that Arisham was not good. I mean, I feel like in the first 10 minutes, you're like, can't trust that guy. <laughs> he's not. He's going to betray them at the end. I never picked up, again, maybe I'm just dumb, but I never picked up those vibes from Icarus. I thought he was fully devoted to the group. Did you Is pick it up? Is he devoted, though? He's a flaky boyfriend who ditched his girlfriend of 5,000 years. So did you pick up on the vibes earlier that he might be the one to betray them? No, I'm trying to think of what moment it hit me. It was before they did the official flash flashback with Ajax. What, ha- what was the scene right before that? Do you remember? I do not. It was almost right before that where it kind of clicked for me, like, ooh, this guy might be bad news. And then I start thinking about how he just left 
Cersei, who seems like an angel. How do you just do that? How do you just up and leave someone like that? Well, I think if you're putting yourself in his shoes, he was privileged to information that he never should have been privileged to. But at that to. time, we didn't know that. Correct. So Ajax shares the, the big truth with him. What Well, what we believe now to be the truth. The truth of what we know at the time. And I think that just shatters his world because why invest any more time with Cersei when you know that it's all going to be wiped clean? So I can under, I can be empathetic to that situation. And his other reasoning too is that he didn't trust himself to be around her and not tell her. And if you think about how much she loved the people of Earth, that would have destroyed her. Yeah. So, yeah. I, long story short, I never picked up on it. So I thought it was actually a pretty good twist. I The other thing that I think is really interesting, and I did read about this a little bit before, is that in the comic books, typically, and the Eternals is not a very, uh, you know, they don't have a long history in the comic books. They have a long history in terms of when they were created. However, there's not been a lot of issues and runs about them, if that makes sense. They're not very popular. Well, yeah, that's one way <laughs> of putting it. And typically, they always, you know, there's always one in the group that turns on well, everybody Well, there's 10 else. of them, so I would assume so. It's typically always Druig who does that in the comic books. And I, th- I think that they pl- wrote that pretty well, where they made it seem like he was going to be the one. And he kind of did with the Aztecs. I did think that was a nice tie-in to world history. Don't you do it. I know, you're the world history teacher, so I'll leave that to you. But I did think they laid that good foundation where you think, oh, Druig, if he wants to, he can do a lot of damage. He can mess things up. Now, I don't think, did they ever explicitly say it? it? I think it was kind of implied. He could not mind control other Eternals. Is that how you understood it? I would assume so, because, again, you'd have to think if he had that ability, he could have done it so easily. Well, and I and just, just ended, you know, kind of ended whatever they were doing there anyway. Yeah. Well, and I, but I didn't know maybe he could, but he had a moral code or something that wouldn't allow him to. But nah. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> you think he just physically didn't have the ability? Well, because if you think about what Ersham said and how he designed each of them to be like these perfect robots who can't mutate or evolve, I guess is the better word, then he wouldn't have given Druig power, that much power over the others because it would have hindered his own ability to control them. Yeah. And he can't have that. So I'll say the good and this overarching subject, if you forgot, because I know we've rambled a little bit. The the good part was that I really like the Icarus twist. The only kind of sub point I'll put under that is I do think he switched back really easily. You know, he looked into Cersei's eyes, you know, once, and then he's immediately, oh, I can't believe I did that to you. So I don't know. I mean, I he did was- say he was a very conflicted person. I personally didn't like the whole Icarus thing because I'm like your typical Disney. Why can't we have a happy ending? And whatever. But it was an interesting plot twist that I didn't necessarily see coming. 
So we have one more point on the good. And it has to be what you started mentioning, the world civilization flashbacks. I thought this was really cool. And even since watching the movies and thinking about it a little more and kind of connecting the pieces, starting in Mesopotamia, if you don't know your world history, I'll fill you in on a few things. That is where the cradle of civilization, the you know the meeting of the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates, where everyone was believed to have started like living together and not being nomads. So it's interesting that that's where the deviants, I don't know why I just forgot that word. That's It's interesting that that's where the deviants would have had to go to eat the people to get their energy. And then that's where the Eternals would have had to start because that's where all the people were. So I liked that they paid attention to that. They could have started anywhere. I mean, it's a Marvel movie. You don't have to be historically accurate, but I thought it was cool that they were. Um, I liked the mention of Babylon and everything, the conflict that happened there and the walls. I mean, this is stuff that if I were still teaching world history, I'd be pulling this up right now. We'd be talking about this in class because they, they would remember. They would remember this. They would. And then you kind of already mentioned it, but Druig and the Aztecs, what's really fun is he basically just took all the Aztecs away. And it's almost like a subtle, funny nod to just the disappearance of the Aztecs. He took them. Now we know. And, there's t- and there were tons of other references as well about you know, how they planted a lot of the seeds of Greek mythology and especially Sprite, just storytelling and ad-libbing and making things up kind of tricked a lot of people in believing these stories that, you know, were passed down for generations and generations and generations. And it kind of gives you the same vibes to um, Loki, where they talked about that he was, they were playing and going into time and messing things up mm-hmm. over time. I can't remember who it was. The, the bank robber who jumped out the plane. I can't remember his name. But that, oh, I, I know what you're talking about. So, I mean, there's all kinds of things that they could show, like the Eternals interfering, and they even referenced, we'll talk about it a little bit later on as well, they referenced that they were there during medieval times with King Arthur and his court. So there's, I thought that the way that they were able to weave that in was beautifully done. Mm-hmm. I could have used a lot more of those flashbacks, if I'm being honest. I mean, they were cool. It's interesting to see if we're believing that these are eternal beings who have been here from the beginning, the way that they did all those flashbacks. I mean, it was very well done. The last thing that I have in the good column or things that we like column is I do really liked the critical thinking pieces that this movie planted. So particularly, you know, are humans worth saving? You know, are humans good? Does conflict really make us as humans stronger? You know, can you love humans through conflict and through peace? And I think that they really made you ponder a lot of really, really big questions. And they didn't spoon feed you an answer. And I I think they just grazed it enough to get you thinking. And I I think it was a healthy exercise. Now I ask, I have a counterpoint to this in my con column where I almost think they didn't fully commit to a lot of these things, but I do like the idea and you get it. You've, we've gotten that in Marvel in the past, them making you think about really big questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we like Marvel so much is because within these superhero stories, there are very 
deep topics intertwined between them. You know, you find out what is the true meaning of love in WandaVision, and you, you know, find about real sacrifice with Captain America. You know, we get all of those things, and I, I thought this was an interesting way to weave that into this story. And I guess if we're thinking back on the conversation that we started with, how is this different than other Marvel movies? That could be it. Like you said, this isn't unheard of for Marvel to kind of hit on big topics. It also makes me think of things like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and that whole discussion that we had. If you never watched that series or listened to those episodes, you definitely should. We'd recommend anything Marvel, honestly. But maybe that makes it a little different is that they are giving you these bigger picture questions. Remind me when we get to that point in the conversation to bring up Falcon and Winter Soldier again. If I don't bring it up, say, weren't you going to bring up Falcon and Winter Soldier again? (laughs) Because I have a thought on that. So let's talk about, we're calling this category the questionable. It's not bad, but it's just head scratching. Like, why did they do it that way? And to me, it really starts with something that I didn't understand too well going into the movie. It's now something that I've researched afterwards. And that's a lot about the origin of celestials, eternals, you know, all of that stuff that I thought this movie was going to answer more than it did. And so I want to just kind of share from a comic book standpoint, what the answer is to the origin of all of this. And then that will lead us into a discussion about how this movie portrayed it. And we can debate or discuss on whether or not we agree with how they did it. So the Celestials play this role in evolution where the base story is, is that the Celestials discovered Earth and they discovered primates there. The Celestials then took the primates, did genetic testing on them, did experiments on them, and ultimately led to three discoveries or three mutations or three... Um, you know, just different subsets of genes. They created humans out of that. They created eternals out of that. And they also created deviants out of that. That, to me, is a much easier way of understanding this because they're all three organic, you know, natural life. They're basically showing that you can take primates and you can do different things, and here's how they diverged from each other. You're saying this is the comic book? Yes. Okay, because I was starting to think, this is not what they talked about in the movie. Continue. And so they, so that's what I'm saying. They left that part out. We are led to believe in the movie that Arisham was the first celestial, and he basically birthed Earth through you know, destroying another planet. It's that cycle that they talk about in the movie. And then it goes on to explain that basically the deviants were a mistake that they made, which also falls into the comic book understanding. But where the really big difference is, is that in the comics, Eternals are actual organic life. They're They're living beings. Human-esque. They are not machines. They are not robots. They are not how they were portrayed here in this movie. And so you can start to think about a couple of reasons, maybe 
why they went that route. I think one is even talking about it right now. Evolutionary is a touchy subject. It's something that, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but it's something that, you know, they debate about how you talk about it in school and everything like that. I haven't researched the subject enough to really know, honestly, but that could be one reason. The other reason could be is that it's all a lie. That's what I was going to say. Even in just listening to you kind of talk about it versus what Ersham said, I'm honestly on the train of Ersham is just a big fat liar who is manipulating these Eternals wherever they came from, whether he made them or whether they really are like human-esque. Obviously, he's doing something with them to manipulate them enough to kind of do his dirty work is the way that I'm looking at it. It's almost like how I look at the timekeepers when we watch Loki. You didn't really trust what was going on. We still don't really know who to trust. Do we trust Renslayer? Who's telling the truth here? Do we trust Kang the Conqueror? Probably not. But I feel the same way about Arishem as I feel about those other people. If you are talking a big game, like you are the center of everything, chances are you're not. Especially if you openly admitted to wiping everybody's brains. There's obviously a red flag if you have to wipe their brains constantly. So I guess the question is, are you okay if they basically go back and retcon this entire movie? Meaning, they go back and they say, everything that we told you in that first Eternal movie was a lie. And they've done this. But not everything would be a lie. We're thinking, when you say everything is a lie, you're talking about the buildup. Kind of like that first Arisham like buildup part, where they were just explaining what are the Eternals. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can narrow it down to a couple of things. Of Is Arisham the original Celestial? Okay. Or is there something bigger than him? Are the Eternals machine or humanoid, you know, modified humans to make them perfect, you know, or not perfect, but have these special eternal. power. Yeah, be eternal. And I mean, I guess that's it. Yeah. So will we be upset if they go back and change that later? One theory could be, and I didn't create this, I read this, is this is breaking down a little bit into what we're going to talk about next, but Eros, Star Fox, he seems to be an Eternal who has broken away from his Celestial, that he is not dependent on the Celestial. And it could be Arisham or it could be another one. Is he going to basically enlighten them and say, hey, absolutely, everything that Arisham told you is a lie? Absolutely. So that's what you think that's what's going to happen? To a certain extent. I've, are we ready to talk about Eros? No. Okay. Then we'll come things. back to him then. But I do think he could play a bigger role in, I guess we'll call it the enlightenment of the Eternals. Obviously, they've been fed lies, especially these three that he met on the ship. I mean, poor Thena. She doesn't know what's going on. Or does she know everything? Or she knows too much. Exactly. So she's a little twisted. But I think he's going to bring a lot to light for them. Okay. So other things that I had on the questionable list, and I think this is probably the biggest topic on everybody's mind, is was this just too much story for one movie? Did they bite off? 
more than they can chew. And I don't even, I have another point talking about the actual time of the movie. So let's not talk, let's take just the time out of the equation. But was this too much information to digest in one sitting? It was. And I'm even trying to think of, would this have been a better Disney Plus series? You know, you could have taken each Eternal and given them an episode so that we could really get to know each one of them. But at the same time, would it have had the same kind of flow that they were looking for? I don't know. I think the biggest thing that we talk about that would lead to was this too much story is we really got to know some of the Eternals and there's others that are still very much in the dark. Now, it does look like we're going to see them later. So it gives them the opportunity for more character development later, which is fine. But we're not necessarily attached to them. The ones that we felt kind of attached to, they killed off. Which well, that might be subjective. That's, because you that's love true. Gilgamesh. Like, but my, who could not love him? I mean, he everybody so loves nice. Gilgamesh. But I'm just saying, you know... I have a lot of buy-in to Makari and Druig. They're still around, so I'm happy about that. But we don't know much about them, is all I'm saying. I like them, too. I think they're great characters. I just don't know much about them, yeah. other than Makari is kind of a thief, which is funny. See, I would kind of compare this. I think the the easiest comparison that you can make is to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's with Ego, his father. That one, it's again, it's very, very big concepts. It's very, very, you know, you really have to expand your mind to get a grasp on what they're talking about. But that movie, I think, broke it down just enough where you could get a pretty good understanding of what was all at work. And, you know, they just focused on ego. And, you know, that's another topic. Ego is technically a celestial and that opens up another Pandora's box of questions. So how is he different than a celestial like Arisham? Anyway. They're not. They're both fake. What do you mean they're both fake? The guy was a fake. He was a phony. Well, he was still a celestial. Yeah, but he was kind of weird. Anyway, I think that's maybe where some of these bad reviews for this movie are coming from is just because... They threw so much at you. And they're making you ponder huge questions. Like, can you love all of humanity? While also pondering the beginning of time. And the creation of new life. And all these huge, huge, huge concepts. And I think it was, a, it's a, it was very ambitious for them to go after it. And maybe it's something that after we watch it, two or three times that we we can digest it a little bit better. But walking out of the movie the first time, you're kind of like, I mean, I think I got it. I think I understood it. But did I really? I Who knows? I kind of leave every Marvel movie feeling like that, though, because there are so many little Easter eggs and tie-ins and things that if you don't read the comics that you're, ne- you're not going to fully understand as someone who does and like truly loves it, whether you know, you're a big fan like me, there are just some things that you're not going to know. Yeah. Well, and that's also what makes it fun. That's when you can go and watch all the YouTube videos about it and TikToks and listen to podcasts, I guess. Um, so my next question is, was it too drawn out? This is the question that is specific to time. I think 
they could have left at least 30 minutes, maybe even upwards of 40 minutes out of the movie. And it really wouldn't have mattered that much. And specifically, I know some people talk about movies in acts. I, I don't know enough about them to know what's act one, two, and three. The assembly part of all of them. I'm going to say that's act two. That w- Boy, that was super drawn out. Again, there's 10 of them, though. You got to imagine they're looking for 10 people. I understand. But you spent so so, so much time with some of them. And then... Like Druig. Like Druig. And then Makari is literally just thrown in there at the last second. She's just sitting there waiting. But there's so much extra context that you could have... There's all these artifacts laying around. She's eating food that is from current time. So she, clearly she's been leaving and coming back. You could have explained that in a 30-second scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and maybe it was more implied, but it just felt like it's super, super drawn out, long, long, long assembling one by one. And then we get two with Gilgamesh and Thena. And then it's like, okay, get in here, Makari. We're good. And then it's like, all right, here we go. So I don't know. That's that's just kind of, and and I will point out, there's only nine at this point because Ajax was gone. But that did take a long time, too, of trying to go find her. Well, and then having to go back and re-show us what actually happened. You know, they, they had to take time to do that, too. So I would say that could have been a lot shorter. Everything else I felt like was the pacing was pretty well done. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I mean, I'm trying to think of anything else to say. It's basically what you said. I agreed that some of it was done better than others. Again, we really liked Fastos and kind of how they found him with his family, especially after the scene with the atomic bomb and kind of where we left him to the growth that he made as a person. And that one was the perfect amount of time. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that one was done really well. Kingo, that was done really well. We were able to learn a lot about him as a person pretty quickly And it was funny. You know, he gave us like the comedic relief versus, you know, some of the others. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I really like Druig, but we spent a lot of time in his village. Like a lot of time. And we spent a lot of time wanting to hate him. You know what I mean? They really did build that up to make us think that he was going to betray everybody. Which this is the, I think this is the dilemma that almost all Marvel movies have. Are are they catering to MCU fans like us or are they catering to comic book fans? And they try to do both, don't they? I, I agree. And that's why I'm saying this scene didn't hit home as well for us, but maybe a comic book fan really loved this part of learning about Druig and thinking that he's going to be the one to, to try to turn on them. Mm, I see. So next thing I have on the list is Crow. Crow is the leader of the Deviants. So after he kills Gilgamesh, he then becomes sentient and absorbs all of Gilgamesh's memories. And so he is able to be enlightened and see what is going on. And they plant that seed and then nothing happens. I think that was so poorly done of like 
he has the same common enemy as you at -hmm. that point. He wants to destroy the Celestials just like you. So I, not that they have to be buddy-buddy, but it was a lot of lead-up and a lot of, okay, they really realize that they're not each other's enemies at this point. And then just like nothing happened. I almost wonder if it was, if you kind of go back to the whole evolution thing or how they mutated themselves, maybe they just didn't have the capability of like fighting against the celestials, like maybe fighting against the eternals and killing all of them off. They thought would end like what the celestials were trying to do. Like if the eternals weren't there to kind of drag everything along or set everything up for it to work out well, I don't know. I do think it was interesting, though, that we did kind of see how they absorbed or how Crow absorbed everything from Gilgamesh. He used that to try to bait Thena. And that's the only way that I think it's even relevant. Yeah. Well, it was just like that was we keep going back to the scenes in Druig's Aztec village. That was the big takeaway from that area was that a Gilgamesh died protecting Thena, and that now Crow is sentient, and he's not just a beast anymore. Well, the one thing that they never fully explained, at least in my opinion, is also how Cersei turned the Deviant into a tree. They made them. They made it sound like that was a huge deal. I felt like, as your novice Marvel watcher, first-time Eternals watcher, that that's what she had been doing the whole time. She changes one thing into another thing. They made it sound like this was revolutionary, and I just did not feel that way. I thought, I honestly thought she died in that scene. I thought that turning the deviant into wood, I thought it was going to turn herself into wood too, since they were both surrounded by water. But who knows? So again, I feel like that was maybe like an unexplained little thing that they just kept referencing, like it was awesome. And she was basically like, I don't know. Okay, these are all these things we talked about are minor plot points or minor plot holes to the one we're about to discuss. This is the most baffling thing I think I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. Where the heck was Kingo in the final fight? He he decided he was done. Do Kamal Nanjiani just call out sick the day that they filmed that? Like, where was he? He was truly the only one not present, wasn't he? Yeah. I wonder what that is or why they allowed that to happen. Now, it could be that, again, they're going to retcon that and they're going to go back in and fill in that gap later with some you know, flashback scene of he went and filmed a documentary or something from afar. But, you know, he they make this big spectacle out of he's following Icarus. But he's also sympathetic to the others. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was one of the only ones that understood the dilemma between both parties. Whereas Sprite was all in with Icarus. Icarus was obviously his own thing. But Kingo was the only one who was kind of impartial, but he felt like he needed to go with Icarus. And then in Icarus's deepest time of need, he's nowhere to be found. And even if he became 
if he got the wherewithal to realize, oh my goodness, I made a mistake, he didn't come back and help the others. He was just completely absent. Yeah, I'm almost wondering if by siding with Icarus, his theory was, we just have to let this happen. So I wonder if he was just trying to let it happen. I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with. That's the only justification I can give for him not being on either side or even just like showing his face the entire time was maybe he just decided this has to happen. Then show him sitting at a coffee shop. Well, you know, (laughs) like that's to me, that's why it's a plot hole is that there's no explanation at all. Just show him and his manager off doing something else while all this is happening. My question to that would be, so at the end then, if we're thinking about what happens to Kingo, he's obviously not on the ship with Thena, Druig, and Makari. Does he get taken with Cersei to go be judged? Yeah, I believe he was next to Cersei when they were up floating. Okay. Would Sprite have gone too, if technically Sprite is a human? I think it, the only ones I remember seeing, and I may be wrong, Fastos was there, Kingo was there, and Cersei was there. I don't remember if Sprite was there or not. I don't think Sprite was there because of the change to being a human. I mean, that would make sense. So I, But I don't know. Sprite could have been there. I'm just looking through the list. So Cersei, Icarus is accounted for. He flew into the sun, which to me... We had you a deb- hated that. Yeah, we had a debate on this on the drive home. I think that was too on the nose. Like, oh, but that's what they did the entire time. I mean, come on, Athena, Athena, the beautiful goddess of Athens. Like everything was very spot on. They knew what they were doing. Okay, so Athena's on the ship. Ajax gone. Kingo floating with the other one, Cersei. Uh, Sprite, human, Fastos. There with Arisham, Makari on the ship, Druig on the ship, Gilgamesh passed away. So, yeah, I mean, they're all accounted for. I guess just the question is, where's Sprite? I guess at school, where they left. <laughs> where they were left. Yep. Um, so you had a question about that as well, about Sprite and Kingo. Well, I just didn't even recognize. I never, it never dawned on me that Sprite was going to live with Kingo. Which we did... Watch that in another video, which I didn't get that impression either. But I do remember it now that it was mentioned that they were literally packing up a car together and leaving together. I guess to me, it is just weird that Sprite is headed off to school just to be normal. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see if Sprite shows up again mm-hmm. or not. Um, And kind of... Last couple of things that I had that fall in the questionable category is I kind of already mentioned it. I don't think they really committed to, to me, this story made more sense as a drama. You know, if you put them into two different categories, you have drama movies and you have action movies. And the comparison that we've kind of heard is that Infinity War is an action movie. Endgame is more of a drama movie. A lot more dialogue, a lot more you know, dealing with the inner workings of the characters. To me, it felt like every time that this movie was ready to commit to being a drama of dealing with these really, really big topics of 
war and crime and you know humans killing each other and all these big topics they immediately fell back into action you know so you see that in druig's camp they're getting vulnerable they're starting to try to work out this conflict that they have with each other and then the deviants show up and they have to fight them and then i don't know at the very end like it was a cool action scene, but to me, it seemed like they just, anytime they were ready to fully commit into it, they just fell back into put another action scene in. And I guess maybe that's just the way that they felt like it had to be in order to keep the story going because there was already a lot of dialogue as it was. And I feel like if there was no action to fall back on, it, we'd probably still be sitting there. Nothing would have happened. They almost needed the action to progress it along i guess that's true so you think i'm being nitpicky there maybe a little i mean i do think the storyline was massive we already talked about that that it was just drawn out and it was a lot to cover in one movie but at the same time that's why i said a disney plus series would have been interesting to see how they could break it up just so that we could get maybe a little more of that dialogue but at the same time i mean that's not what they did last thing i have is how do you feel about Jimma Chan now playing two different characters in MCU? So if you're not familiar, she was also in Captain Marvel. She played Minerva. She was part of the Kree Star Force with Carol Danvers. They, her character did die in that movie. So how do you feel about them recasting the same actress for now a character that seems like Cersei will be in this for the long haul? It at first it did kind of bother me when you had mentioned that they were part, you know, that Gemma was already part of the MCU. But then in learning more about that character versus this one, I don't know if I care. I, to be honest, I wouldn't even recognized her with all the makeup and everything. I don't think it was a super significant role that she had as Minerva. Like if you just threw out that name, Minerva. The only thing that comes to mind is that's Minnie Mouse's official name. Like, I don't even know that that's a character in the MCU. Unless, again, you're a comic book person or you're very nitpicky or just detail-oriented, whatever you want to say. So I don't know if it bothers me. At first it did because it's like, oh, why are you going to recast someone? But maybe they just recognized that she was good. Maybe she just auditioned again because it is a completely separate role. And like you said, if she already died in the MCU, it's not like they're going to come face to face and it's going to be like a parent trap situation <laughs> where it's the same person talking to each other. But I mean, I just, I never would have noticed. I was upset about it before the movie, but then afterwards she played Cersei so well that I'm kind of like you. I'm, I'm not upset anymore because I can't picture anybody else playing Cersei at this point because I mean, she nailed it. I think she might have, you know, I don't know if she's my favorite character, but I think she played the character the best, if that makes sense. I mean, would you agree that she was like the main character in this whole movie? I think so. I mean, she ended up being like the leader, which says a lot. Imagine being on a cast list with Angelina Jolie and being the lead character. I guess it's kind of, I, we didn't talk much about Angelina Jolie because if we're being honest, I don't have that much to say about her. She was just kind of there. She was the beautiful sidekick who knew too who knew too much. I guess she's not a sidekick, but she was the beautiful she wasn't hero the who knew point. too much. Yeah. 
they they didn't really tap into much there. Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's kind of a curveball because when you when you see Angelina Jolie on a cast list, you think this is an Angelina Jolie movie mm-hmm. because everything she's in, she doesn't play sidekicks, you know, at this point in her career. So I agreed it, it was a different take on what you would expect out of her, but it may just be, I mean, that's kind of how Marvel does things now. I mean, they like to cast, I wouldn't call any of these people underdogs, but I don't know. It's either like they go for the superstar all-stars like a Kit Harrington you know, coming off of Game of Thrones and the crossover between Game of Thrones fans. We personally haven't watched it, but the crossover between yeah, Game of Thrones. Kit Thron- Harrington, I was like, are you kidding me? I thought you were going to go with like a Chris Pratt as a Star-Lord kind of thing. Like just taking a big name to make a big character. Well, uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They they like, they go one extreme or the other, it seems like. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean. But we don't know what Thena is going to be in the future. Correct. Obviously, it appears that she's going to have a future in Marvel. Okay, ready to talk about the after credit scenes? I feel like we have to. How long has this episode been so far? We are 53 minutes in. Ooh. Okay, so let's talk about the first one, the mid credit scene with Harry Styles making his debut. Now, I've seen other people talking about that they knew about this way beforehand. I had no idea that he was showing up, and I suspect because your first words to me was, is that who I think it is that you did not see it coming either? <laughs> no, I didn't. I mean, this is the last place that I would have expected to see Harry Styles. You see a lot of musicians try to get into acting. Obviously, it's working for Harry Styles. We'll see. We've never really seen him in anything yet. But it was interesting. I was not expecting to see him there. I could have probably thrown out a dozen other names for, again, like super famous people to join the MCU, and I don't think I ever would have picked Harry Styles. When he first started appearing, did you have any thoughts on who you thought was going to walk down the hallway? I originally thought it was going to be Captain Marvel. She does like doing that in, in credit scenes. I Yeah, that was kind of the first one that came to my mind. Um, or even just any, you know, Star-Lord, just any of the Guardians of the Galaxy, anyone who we have kind of seen in space before. That's what I was expecting to see. I was thinking it was going to be Adam Warlock, who, uh, now I forgot the actor's name, but they just cast him. They confirmed that he's going to be in. We thought it was going to be Zac Efron. Yeah, we thought it was going to be Zac Efron. Now it's going to be the guy from We're the Millers. I would have more so expected it to have been Zac Efron than Harry Styles on screen. I mean, okay, so let's talk about this character, because Zac Efron could actually play this character, too. I don't but, know better than Harry Styles though. You've made we've we've already had this conversation and we've made some very good points about Harry Styles. Okay, so here are his powers just from a comic book standpoint and how we think he will be portrayed in the MCU. So But I also have to say before we get started, I feel like this is the lamest superhero power. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? Okay. Eros, aka known as Star Fox, his powers are to manipulate thoughts. So kind of like Druig in that sense, I think. But the way that Arrow specifically uses them is to manipulate women. He seduces women. Yes. That's his power. That's his superpower. But it, that's that's not actually his power. High that's just level, how he, he uses High his power. level, that's his superpower. That's what he's known for. That is his claim to fame. Someone thought that this was a worthy character in 
a comic book. I just need everyone to stop and think about that for a minute. I don't know if this character was made by Stan Lee, but if I look it up and it is, then you're going to have to redact that statement, ma'am. We, no, I stand by that. We I do think, not allow any I think this is a slander. ridiculous superhero. Ridiculous. You're going to end up. I'm going to eat. No, no, I stand by it. I don't care what anyone has to say. It's a superhero who manipulates women. Okay. So he is an eternal and he is the blood brother of Thanos. I heard some chatter about that online. Are they actually blood related? Yes. See, they're both evil. They are both incorrect. Eros is, he's kind of an anti-hero, but he does fall on the side of the good guys more often than not. He does some bad things. I think you can maybe view him kind of like a Loki, but leaning more towards good than bad. That's why they had to cast Harry Styles to make him lovable. Correct. Give us another good British accent. So again, this brings up the same topic of if the Eternals are really just robot things, then that would technically probably mean that Thanos was a robot as well, which I feel like in all of the stuff we know about Thanos, that cannot be true. So again, I think that has to be just a lie from Arisham. Mm -hmm. Their parents are two Eternals as well. And in the comic books, their origin, and I saw some stuff that said maybe the MCU has already gone a different direction, but I'm still going to believe in this one. Their parents were interested in like gene manipulation and genetics and all of that stuff. And they were able to figure out a way to have children because typically Eternals cannot. And because Eternals cannot have children, that's how they kind of messed up. So they had one that has the deviant gene, which is Thanos, and one is Eros that uses his powers typically for bad. You speechless? I mean, I'm just touche. Um, so just, you know, you may think this is obvious, but I just want to point out, this does mean that he is the adopted uncle of Gamora and Nebula. So already a lot of Guardians of the Galaxy references being thrown out there with this character in particular. Can you imagine? So we know that Thor is with the Guardians of the Galaxy right now, so you could get... Star-Lord, Thor, and Eros all together. That's a lot of ego, pun intended. I mean, that's what I'm hoping. I am interested in seeing kind of the humor or the character. I mean, obviously, Star Fox, against everything that I've already said, it's got to be an interesting character. I mean, it's got to be someone who's fun to play, kind of maybe like you said, I guess I'll stick on the Loki train, a little manipulative knows how it gets what he wants, kind of charming. I think it will be interesting to see him interact with more of your typical Marvel cast. Because I'm not really sure how I feel about him with the Eternals, just because if I'm being honest, other than, I gotta look at the names again, I'm so sorry, Kingo. Other than Kingo, they're all kind of dry. Does anyone have a great sense of humor? If you compare it to like a Guardian of the Galaxy or anything, or Loki... No, they're all a little. Fastos has very subtle humor. He does have some subtle humor, but nothing like in your face. So I feel like Eros could just run circles over him if he's very charismatic versus maybe some of these other characters will give him a good run for his money. So you may be asking kind of what this means for the MCU and maybe where we can see Eros pop up. We've kind of already mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy. That's 
maybe an obvious one because he does have the connection with Gamora and Nebula. Nebula and Gamora should know him, obviously, uh, with him being their adopted father's brother. Uncle. You used to say, just say uncle. Well, I, but I feel <laughs> like I need to throw the adopted in there so we you know, remember that they are not his blood children. Okay. Um, and in the comics, kind of what we already mentioned, he's known for having lots of, I guess we'll call them interactions with women all over the galaxy. And one of these storylines leads him to be mixed up with Jennifer Walters. So Jennifer Walters is a new character that we're going to get very soon on Disney plus. She is she Hulk. Um, she is Bruce Banner's cousin and she is an attorney. And so Eros finds himself in court under allegations of sexual assault and Jennifer Walters is hired to defend him. And the way that they know each other in the comics was because they previously worked together in the Avengers. So that's where I'm saying he's, he works with the good guys a lot, but during this storyline, it ends very badly because Jennifer suspects that Star Fox is manipulating the jurors. And then she eventually finds out that she thinks that Star Fox is manipulating her. What? No. And so then she like Hulk smashes him into oblivion. That there. Maybe one way that we can see it. The other thing that we kind of already mentioned, he obviously feels he has this enlightenment away from the Celestials. So hopefully he will be able to unveil a lot more of that background story that our Eternals do not know currently. I mean, I feel like that has to be his biggest role, at least in the near future, is kind of enlightening them. And then I feel like he can have some fun as a character. I'm just interested in seeing Harry Styles as an actor. We have to mention he is joined in the scene by Pip, who is voiced by Patton Oswalt, which again, that's a kind of a recasting. I mean, he's just a voice, but he's an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But does that count? I mean, I, mean, I it's know. It's not technically in the MCU, so I guess it doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, because I know we're slowly, very slowly watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and other big Marvel fans might have also, but it's not quite the same as being in the MCU. But Pip is the one who has the teleportation power, so that's how they end up on that ship. And he's basically just a sidekick to a lot of people. He's like a rocket. Yeah, more or less. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts you have on that mid-credit scene? I don't think so. So the end credit scene with Dane Whitman is him basically becoming... The boyfriend. For anyone <laughs> yes. who doesn't know who we're talking about. Well, if they saw the end credit scene, I think they would know. He's the boyfriend. Thank you. You're welcome. Him becoming Black Knight. Um, so let's first talk about Black Knight and kind of the origins of that. So Dane himself... Yes. Before we talk about Black Knight, I just have to get this out there. For anyone who's not familiar with the comics, a.k.a. me, were we supposed to know that Black Knight was coming? Like, were we supposed to have picked up on this before you told me? Yes, because of his name. Because Black Knight is Dane Whitman. So people, as soon as the cast list came out and you saw that there's a character named Dane Whitman, people knew that was Black Knight. But again, that's comic related, right? I mean, yeah, of course. There's nothing been in the MCU before of Dane Whitman, but 
Yes, people knew beforehand that it was Black Knight. Oh, okay, continue. Um, so he, Dane is a descendant of a knight named Sir Percy, who worked with King Ar- Arthur in the Knights of the Round Table, and he was given the ebony blade, which is the box, and the, bl- the sword that was in the box that Dane opened by Merlin himself. And doing that, Percy became the first Black Knight. Now, the Ebony Blade, we heard also a reference to Excalibur. Athena mentioned that she was using Excalibur at one point. If, you're, if you know some of that, like, storylines behind King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and Merlin and all that kind of stuff, Excalibur is, like, the very noble sword, And the ebony blade can be seen as like the direct opposite. It, they, the way they phrase it, like it thirsts for death and its powers make whoever yields it kind of succumb to it. And so it slowly eats away at them and they become bad over time. And so for that reason, it's been passed down. So it basically went from Percy, a couple of generations, and then it goes to Dane's uncle. And then Dane's uncle left it to him. But he knows how dangerous it is. And he is basically determined to break that trend. And he wants to use the Ebony Blade for good as the Black Knight. I guess my only question is, is that possible? Like, can you be the person to change history like that just because you want to? I guess we'll find out. I guess we will. I guess we'll find out. Um, so just one storyline from the comic books that we could maybe see play out that I thought had some similarities to what's basically going on with the MCU is that he joins a group of villains called the masters of evil, which in the comic books, one iteration of the masters of evil is actually led by Baron Zemo. And it includes a variety of other villains, but he's basically joins them as a spy for the Avengers but what's funny about that storyline is that the Avengers don't trust him either because he's the Black Knight. And so he's like being double crossed. They bas- By both parties. Correct. Um, but eventually what happens is that he earns the trust of the Avengers because he helps them defeat Kang the Conqueror. So that had oh. a lot of similarities to what's going on with us. So is the fake Captain America in this too? Part of that group? Um, not in Baron Zemo's version of the Masters of Evil. Okay. But that led me to believe, you know, if you look at a collection of villains to what's going on right now in the MCU, we think that Valentina is building some version of the Thunderbolts. We don't know if they're actually going to be called the Thunderbolts, but she's building a collection of villains in order to work for her. So maybe we see Dane join them as a spy and see some of that same storyline start to play out. I mean, I could get behind that because kind of like you said, it is something that's already being put in place. I think the other thing that we've realized is we can never really predict what Marvel is going to do or what's going to happen in the MCU. But that's a good thought. I thought it was a good storyline because it includes Zemo, who we know is still around, and it includes Kang, who is is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he remains. So, 
the voice that talked to Dane, if you're not familiar with it already, Chloe Zhao, who's the director, she did confirm that it was Blade who said, are you, what do you say? Are you really ready for that, Dane Whitman? Or Something like, are you ready for this? Um, bum, and, bum. Yeah, so Blade is half human, half vampire. He's a vampire hunter. Catherine's already shaking her head because you don't I'm sorry, like. Sorry, you lost me at this guy is going to be a vampire hunter in the MCU. I was a big supporter of vampire movies. I did the whole Twilight thing, but I I don't know if I can support a vampire in the MCU. It's just getting to be a bit much now. Is this is this even believable anymore? <laughs> yeah, it's, was it believable before? <laughs> it's it's too much now. <laughs> a giant uh, celestial robot was planted beneath Brazil. That was believable. You, but I you, could support that. You but draw the line at vampires. Yeah, you start throwing in vampires. Next, we're going to... I mean, I guess we've already had zombies. I mean, this is just going to be a lot. Could lead the I way. Didn't, could, I didn't sign up for all this. I'm going to say it. Could lead the way to mutants. Nope. I didn't <laughs> sign up for this. We're getting the X-Men. Give me Captain America. That's what I'm here for. Um, So that was Mahershala Ali, who will be playing Blade. So that leads us to believe that maybe the next time that we see the Black Knight is in Blade, maybe before then. I don't know the exact release order. Could it be Eternals 2? Could it be Blade? Somewhere in between. Blade was a movie that was made, I want to say, in the... 80s or might have been 90s. We need to watch it. Uh, nope. Yes. It had Wesley Snipes in it. I don't know who that is. Oh my gosh. I have failed you as a husband. <laughs> um, so that kind of breaks down both of the end credit scenes. I th- But I really like these. Both of these new characters are kind of, you know, I think we have the presumption that the Black Knight is going to be noble. But both of these kind of draw that line. We we saw this seed planted in Loki of is anybody truly good or bad? And I think they're sticking to that, of that a lot of these people are good and bad. They have a mix, and they're not the perfect superheroes like we've seen in the past, like a Steve Rogers. I just don't know how I feel about that. Well, better get ready because it's coming whether you like it or not. But I guess it does make me excited for what's to come. Again, with these end credit scenes, all it's doing to me is giving me more people to remember. Because, again, more people. But I do Wait think until Spider-Man to- comes out. Oh, my gosh. But I feel like I already know a lot of those people. Like, I'm okay with Spider-Man. Don't you think? Like, how many new people can Spider-Man truly give us? Do you think it's going to be a lot? Well, you still need to watch the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans. Well, that's true. But past that, I'll, it should I should be, be a lot good, of, right? should be a lot of nostalgic characters, yeah. And I'm good. I like that. I already established I'm here for that. I am excited to see how it plays into Thor, Love, and Thunder. I'm excited to see how it plays into maybe Captain Marvel 2. Because that's another space movie where we could see some of these people coming back in. Yeah, I think we'll know more about that after uh, Miss Marvel comes out on Disney+. Plus. When is that? Do you, you I know? I don't know. I don't, I don't remember know. the timeline. But I don't know. It does make me excited. I've already been excited, mostly because next we have Spider-Man, and then we're finally getting Multiverse of Madness. Ooh. 
And all I've been waiting for is when do I get to see Wanda again? Clear my calendar when Multiverse of Madness comes out. And we also have Disney Plus. And we have Disney Plus. And then if you throw Star Wars into the mix, we're also getting Book of Boba Fett. No, we're not throwing Star Wars into the mix. We're not ready for throwing Star Wars into the mix. Marvel Monday, sir. Marvel Monday. Star Wars Saturday. Is Monday. Okay. So, I think it's interesting. Your final ranking, I don't know if ranking is the right word, uh, review, if you want to put a number on it, you can, of Eternals. Uh, Out of 10? Yeah. I'd give it like a solid six and a half. I was going to say six. I think it was a beautiful story. I really like the characters. I think some of the writing was a little sloppy. But I didn't hate it. But I, yeah, exactly. I, and I it, and I do like that we're going to continue to see these characters, especially some like we've mentioned who we really liked them and we wanted more. I'm thankful in knowing that we're going to get more and it wasn't necessarily a Rogue One situation where they're gone forever and that was like they're one and done and we'll never learn more about them. Um, it did have some holes. I am a little nervous about the whole retcon and Airstream's a big fat liar thing. I mean, I think it'll make shirt. Airstream's a big fat liar. (laughs) I think it'll make for an interesting kind of plot twist to go back, but I don't know if you call it a plot twist if everyone sees it coming. Um, But I don't know. It does make me think about a lot of the Disney Plus series that we've watched, where we have all these theories, and we only had to wait a week to see if those theories were correct. And now we're going to have, you know, most likely years to see if these things kind of play out. I'm interested in A, just seeing if I remember, or B, how it continues to change. But it's not as exciting as a Disney Plus series in that sense, in that sense, where I can't just wake up next Friday and see what happens next. But mm-hmm. I did like it. Yeah. Shang-Chi, probably still the best movie that we've seen so far this year. I might give that one a, a full 10. Because I really wow. did like that one. It was my kind of Marvel movie. To me, I view it as like exactly equal to Black Widow. It was good. Eternals, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, Shang-Chi's in a league of its own. I just had to clarify. It might be top three of all Marvel movies. Then why were you shocked when I gave it a 10? I don't know. Just, uh, I mean, that could be a good exercise. Maybe we need to rank all of them. We need to finish, we need to finish watching them all again then. Yeah. We might need to start over. Oh my gosh. It's been a while. Um, yeah, I think it's a good movie. It, I don't I think the overreactions for people saying it's terrible. We heard some people leaving the theater saying, oh, if Kingo wasn't in that, that would be completely unwatchable. No, it wouldn't. No, I do wasn't. think you needed the humor because I did mention the others are fairly dry. But, but I also think they have thousands of years of suppressed emotion that they were probably dealing with. But I guess my point is playing hypothetical games like that saying, Oh, if Kingo wasn't in it, I would hate it. You don't have to play that because he was in it. Like that's a, that's a losing game to play. You can say, Oh, if Cersei wasn't in it, I would hate it. That would never happen. Like they're all essential to the story. You with me? I'm with you. Okay. So we'd love to know what you guys think. What are some Easter eggs or plot points that you've thought about? We're always happy to discuss Marvel 
theories with anybody at any time. Always. Bonus points if it involves Wanda. We're about to start a countdown of days until December 17th. Oh, I can give you a countdown. I'm a teacher. Oh, yeah, because that's your last (laughs) day of school. So that is when Spider-Man No Way Home comes out. and It's going to be a great day. Ooh, and it's even better that I won't have kids the next day. No one to spoil it for me. What a glorious day. You know, working in the middle school, that happened to me a few times. I would have to make rules. You're not allowed to talk about the movie your parents took to see at midnight last night because Miss Wright did not go see it at midnight last night. Good times. Your coworkers could spoil it, though. No, my coworkers are good people. They wouldn't do that. Good to know. So... Starting that countdown, we I'm very excited that Marvel, like we we had a little bit of a dry phase between what if ending and truth be told, we didn't even finish what if. We, we need, need to, to go back. We need to go back. But it seems like we're ramping up again. We're gonna get Hawkeye starting very soon. Lead us directly into Noe Home, then She Hulk will start soon after that, and then we'll start the countdown towards multiverse of madness. And on the Disney side, we have Encanto to tide us over at the end of this month. And that I am excited for. So we will definitely have to do an episode or something about that. Yeah. So we thank you guys so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. If you enjoy this Marvel Monday topics, please let us know. We're always looking for feedback on this kind of stuff. We will be back on Thursday with a storytelling episode, a long overdue storytelling episode. So we can't wait to bring that and share that with you guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will chat with you on Thursday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.